every day they're changing something. My mom started crying. My mom was like, oh, they know I'm going to die. They want to give me two days to leave. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was such a big deal. Like everybody was on their toes. Like everybody was living on the edge because yeah. it was a straightforward process, right? Yeah. It was one degree after the other. It was one bad news after the other. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast, and I am your host, Anya. Today, we will continue our conversation from season one on the topic of fibroids. This is definitely an ongoing conversation, so it will never end. And today, I am very honored to have one of our guests here. Her name is Hilda Ngello, and she's originally from Cameroon, but she resides in the UK. So Hilda, I am so glad to have you on this platform for you to talk about your story with Fibroids. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Anya. Thank you um, for having me on your platform. It's such an honor and I'm glad to be here to share my story with your audiences. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking that time to come and talk about your story because when I saw your story on BBC, I was very, very inspired. And I mean, I was mind blown as much as I was inspired. And to see that there have been like much strides in technology and just in health advancements that help women who have fibroids. I mean, I have fibroids, but I don't. My case was definitely nowhere near as serious as yours. And to see that, you know, there have been so many advancements that have happened that, you know, help women that have fibroids, that was very, very inspiring in and of itself. So I'm super stoked and super excited to, you know, have this conversation and really get to know your story and get to further understand basically your experience as you went through that process of healing. So can you please just tell us about yourself, you know, your story, and then we will go into the story with fibroids. Absolutely. Fibroids is a topic I'm very passionate talking about. But before we dive into that, I'd like to give your audience a bit about myself. Yeah. You rightly say my name is Hilda Angelo, but, you know, popularly known as Mami P. That's a childhood alias, and it's one that I use across my social media platforms. Mm-hmm. I like to call myself a tech girl. I work in IT. Mm-hmm. So I bring digital transformation to organizations that are transforming from paper systems or paperless system. Mm-hmm. That's my day job. And, you know, in my spare time, I like to see myself as a content creator. So I write about fashion, especially African fashion and mm-hmm. how to get into the, you know, up market. And, you know, I like to report on trends mm-hmm. and just lifestyle and stuff like that. And now I'm adding health onto my resume, which is, awesome. you know, I really want to do moving forward. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So let's just dive right into it. Can you please tell us your story with fibroids? Like when you were first diagnosed with fibroids and like how many of them were there? How serious was it? You know, just the whole story. So my story with fibroids hasn't been a straightforward one. Knowing that we both come from Cameroon, how the health system like. Mm-hmm. is back home. So I do believe I've had fibroids from as early as when I was a teenager. Mm. And that's when I went to school. So I started experiencing a lot of abdominal pain, especially during my period mm-hmm. when I was in high school. 
Mm. At the time, there wasn't any diagnosis. There wasn't any, you know, treatment for it. There was no information about fibroids. All I knew was the fact that I had very painful periods. Yeah. Go on every month, some months I'll be lucky not to have them. You know, they were so consistent. I knew that something was definitely wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Wasn't just the fibroids, even though I didn't know there were fibroids at the time. I had other complications. Like I couldn't eat as much as other people were eating. So I could only eat little portions. My understanding now is that, you know, because they were growing, I didn't have enough space. So Mm. each time I, you know, I suffered a lot from bloatedness. Mm -hmm. So I didn't always want my tummy to be that big. So Mm. I started eating really small portions. And that's how my journey with fibroid started. You know, it it wasn't just the pain, but it affected so many things around me. Mm -hmm. And when I flew England in 2005, this process continued like painful periods and heavy bleeding, you know, back aches. I became really anemic. So I started suffering from iron deficiency anemia, which mm-hmm. was as a result of the fibroids. Mm-hmm. And I was referred to clinical hematology mm-hmm. where I had to receive like iron infusions. And I later on had a diagnosis and I was told, I think around 2007 mm-hmm. that I had fibroids. And the, they tried to manage it, you know, during that period, I had a couple of scopes. I had hysteroscopies where they sent a camera, um, yeah. you know, from down below and tried to scrape them out. They did that a couple of times and it didn't work. It just came back. And in 2010, I had my first open myomectomy, which is an open surgery, surgery. for fibroid. Yeah. And I remember back when I had the surgery, the consultant that was seeing me, said to me she was going to go in and try and remove as many of them as possible but she would only take out the big ones Mm. so unfortunately during that time there wasn't information about fibroids nobody was talking about it and it was just one of those things where people would say oh it's you know that has stomach pain it was being referred to it that way yeah and people were not really talking about it I think because of all the stigma yeah with you know women suffering from fibroids and their uterus and especially a woman who hasn't had children so I think people were really paranoid especially the women that suffered from fibroids and even within the healthcare system there wasn't you know information out there staring glaring at us saying Mm -hmm. this is fibroid educate ourselves about it so after my surgery I was discharged and You know, I carried on with life and for three years I was okay. And then it came back. Mm. And after my procedure, I didn't have any follow-up care. Mm. Monitored me to see what was happening. So I carried on living and, you know, I was just dealing with the pain and I moved houses. So I left from where I had my first surgery and I moved to another area in London. So the way it works, they have to transfer your medical files to your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, to stay in so your care can be transferred to your local hospital. So when I moved to my, um, to where I'm currently staying, I registered with the doctor, you know, they started monitoring, you know, the pains. It wasn't really the fibroids they were trying to take care of. And I would have usual episodes of painful periods heavy bleeding, I would bleed for about two to three weeks nonstop. Yeah. Back aches, sleepless nights and, you know, anemia most of the time, you know, really tired, you know, short of breath and all of those things. And it just kept on going back and forth, back and forth. And during this period, the doctors tried to perform another scope to go in and scrape the fibroids. But at that time, they said they were a bit big and they couldn't be removed, you know, using that method. So they tried to put me on a marina call and I'm not sure what happened with that call. I think it probably came out during one of my heavy periods. Mm-hmm. You know, it probably popped out and I never knew. So it didn't really do anything. It didn't rectify the problem. It didn't manage the problem. It did not control 
the problem. So yeah. And let me let me just interrupt you just one moment, please. For those who don't understand what Mirena is, right? That's the birth control, right? The intra is called an intrauterine device. So it's an IUD that they have to insert in there. And I, I think fibroids too are influenced by hormones, right? So usually with that birth control, it keeps a consistent level of hormones in the body. And also, of course, it makes your body think your body is pregnant or something. So you don't have to, you know, you cannot get pregnant with that as well. But I mean, it also has other purposes to control those, stabilize those levels of hormones. So with the Mirena that was put, it's like a T, you can Google it. It's like a T or Y, however you write. And it's being manually inserted into it and it actually could come out. And that's what you were saying that, you know, it just popped out and you had no idea. Yeah, so you've beautifully articulated exactly what the marina is all about and what happens. So it popped out because during my periods, during my cycles, I have really heavy bleeding. Yeah, that's so, the contractions. Yeah, so it could have come out and I didn't know. So I was just, I sat one day and realized that I had a lot of pregnancy symptoms. Like I was looking really plump. I was glowing. I started putting on weight and people were saying, congratulations. You know, I was like, I'm still having all the pains and, you know, my stomach is still growing big and I'm still bleeding. So something must be wrong with this call. It's not working and I'm just putting on weight. So I went back into the hospital and they examined me. It wasn't there. I had a scope after that procedure, you know, colon infection, stayed in hospital for two weeks. Mm. It was the same cycle back and forth, just going into hospital when I was in pain all the time, coming back with painkillers to manage the pain. And I remember one day I was leaving the hospital and I met a doctor, a gynae doctor, and she said to me, I should not accept another surgery. Hmm. I should be pain. You know, it's not good to have too many surgeries. Mm-hmm. So that stayed in my mind. What I was thinking is, if this lady says this to me, she probably knows what she's talking about. She said this off the record, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, she probably knows better than me. She's a doctor, you know. She sees a lot of patients all the time, and she knows what's going on inside me. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I really shouldn't have listened to her mm. because no doctor should be given unsolicited advice outside of a clinic setting. Mm-hmm. So I listened to her, unfortunately, and I decided I was going to control my pain with painkillers and not have another surgery, especially because my first surgery wasn't an easy one. I was in a lot of pain thereafter, and I didn't like the experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go through surgery again. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to deal with the pain and, you know, cope and survive whatever you know, it takes. So I stayed that way and everybody was like, oh, she has fibroids. She's always in pain. And that was my lifestyle. Yeah. That really, really affected me in the way I lived my life because, you know, I missed a lot of events. You know, my friends Mm. had events I couldn't turn up, guys, girls, family. And I'd gotten to a place in my life where I'd become tired and frustrated you know, from explaining my mm-hmm. private life, which means it costed me relationships. My health yeah. costed yeah. me. People didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Most of the time I was sick for like three weeks where because I've got this social media profile, it deceives people that I'm living a certain kind of life. life yeah. I'm barely surviving. Hmm. I was all. I was always bleeding. I didn't even like to visit people and spend nights in their houses because I didn't want a situation where it would be an accident. I wake up embarrassed. Yes, yes. So I stayed in my own corner and those who knew what was happening, they knew. And those who didn't understand, you know. Yeah. It's what it is. So fast forward to 20. 19 mm-hmm. duration in our family where um I had to I had to be a donor for somebody and I went to the hospital to um have a, a full body screening before I could donate one of my organs and this wasn't my hospital by the way so it was the um 
person receiving the organs, hospital. So mm-hmm. I went there. When they did a scan for me, the doctors were alarmed. They were like, what's the reason you're here again? And I was like, I've come in to donate my, my organ to a family. And they were like, that's not going to happen. So I started crying. I was like, no, I need to do this. You know, I want to do this. It's something that I really want to do. They said, we understand that you want to support your family, but you cannot do it because you need urgent medical attention. Mm. So they wrote three-page letter to my own hospital, to my own doctor, referring me urgently and telling them what they had seen when they ran my scan. So during that period, hospitals were, you know, overflowing with COVID patients. COVID, yeah. So he was just focused on COVID cases and everything else was put Secondary, on hold. yeah. So because my case was urgent, even though it wasn't, it was urgent, but, you know, they were more focused on the COVID patients. I had a scan. I was very, very lucky to have a scan. And unfortunately, my doctor went on holiday. So I went to clinic to see one of her registrars, like a junior doctor. Mm-hmm. We tried to interpret the results, but I wasn't convinced because the only reason I wasn't convinced was because I'd been to another hospital and they made my case really serious. So it's not because the junior doctor wasn't giving me accurate information, but she just wasn't seeing what the other people were seeing, you know, because she's got more experience and all of that. So... I was told to hang on and wait for my consultant to come back from holiday. So it was mm-hmm. a waiting game. When she finally came back from her holiday, she gave me a call and she said, Hilda, listen to me and listen carefully. This is very serious. On that day, I was at home with my mom and I sat in the bedroom because I didn't want my mom to, you know, hear what was going on, especially mm-hmm. because a lot had gone on in the family during that period and it was just a really stressful period health wise. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, to put my mom in that situation again with my own health, even though she knew that, you know, there were issues, but the doctor was explaining was a whole different level of urgency. So she went, I've looked at your scans and you've got 45 fibroids. I was like, what? 45? How is that possible? She said, yes, you have 45 fibroids. And unfortunately, she, she kept on going. She said, unfortunately, this is not what I thought it would be. And it's not something that I can manage. So I have to transfer you to the right people, you know, wow. with the right skill and look after you. So before she went on holidays, the plan was, she wanted to know the exact locations of the fibroids. So when she comes back, she was thinking she was going to do like a keyhole surgery, like a really small surgery just to take them out. Yeah. She saw the scans, you know, when she saw the scans, because remember that all she had was a report without any scans. So she didn't really see the full picture. Mm-hmm. So, so when she did her own scans, she was alarmed and she was like, this is above my pay grade. This is not something that I can do. So she had to refer me to, you know, somebody that was more clinically qualified to look at my situation. And that took another couple of months because they had to have like a multidisciplinary team meeting to assess the situation and decide on the best course of action. Yeah. So that took a while again. It delayed my care. And finally, I had a letter from the other clinical team that I was referred to saying I needed to come to see Mr. Queen, who's my now consultant, the one that mm-hmm. was on BBC. So I started seeing Mr. Queen. And the first thing he said when he saw me, because the plan was for me to have this procedure in in April of 20, 2021. Yeah. That was the initial plan. But based on the sizes and number of fibroids that, you know, they saw, everything changed. Wow. So when I was referred to Mr. Queen, the first thing he did was to put me, I had an injection 
I've forgotten what that the name is, but the purpose of the injection is to shrink, help and shrink the fibroids. Mm. Also to prepare me for surgery. Mm-hmm. Injection lasted for six months. So basically what the injection does is it induces the body to menopause. So I was clinically induced into menopause. Mm-hmm. April to September, you know, I just sat at home waiting for that injection to kick in. And I was going through this, you know, menopausal period. But basically, the purpose of the injection is to stop the production of estrogens, like you explained um, when you were talking about the marina coil. Mm-hmm. And so I was basically going through menopause mm. to shrink the fibroids and to reduce bleeding during surgery because of the number of fibroids that I had. Mm-hmm. During that period, during that period, my Phoenician reached out to me and I discussed like because of the number of fibroids that I was told I had, I expressed my concerns and what I wanted to do with the whole my health situation. Mm-hmm. I thought as bad as this may sound, I wanted to raise awareness about, you know, fibroids. Yeah. If I have 45 fibroids, it's because, you know, the God that created me wanted me to use them for a purpose. Yeah. So that's why I decided to to go to the BBC to do this documentary because if you look at the media, there's not yeah, there's, enough information yeah. on fibroids. On fibroids. And there are a lot of women that suffer from fibroids, but they're not courageous enough to, to talk, talk about, about it. it. Yep, that's true. I'd suffered for such a long time for me to be ashamed. There was nothing to be ashamed about. Mm-hmm. At least upon myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want other young girls to suffer the way I'd suffered in the past. Yeah. I just felt like I needed to start talking about fibroids. Yes. There's no way I'm going to have 45 fibroids and not talk about it and not raise awareness and let, you know, people know that this is what women are going through. Yeah. Don't somebody when you see them. Right. Don't that you don't understand. Right. Because from a condition like fibroids, where there's not enough information and education around it, people mm-hmm. have assumptions. Yeah. You know, people jump into conclusions like, why is she always tired? Yeah. One day I was walking with, you know, somebody and they said to me, why are you breathing like an old lady? Mm. You know, I was really, really upset, but. I decided to just put myself together and kept going. And it was just comments that, yeah. you know, during this period, like for a woman my age, I think my HB needs to be around 13. So around those levels, but my, you know, my HB was always in the levels of five to seven. That's the maximum. Yeah. So and, and, my, and can you explain what HP is? If I'm right, I think it's hemoglobin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was always really, really, really low. low. Yeah. Really low. So I was always short of breath. You know, I remember once I went into hospital and they said to me, I could have had a heart attack. Yeah. Cause you're overworking how- your heart. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going through those periods and suffering. So I said to myself, if I've got 45 fibroids, I think our hospitals need to start, you know, talking a lot more about women's health mm-hmm. and not just say it's painful periods. They're going to go away and then I have to just carry on with life because this didn't only affect my health. It affected my career in a way because yes. I didn't change jobs because I didn't want to go to a new environment and start exposing my medical history to strangers. Mm-hmm. There were days at work where I had a lot of accidents and things like that. So yeah, it was hard for me to progress in life in so many um, ways. Yeah. So this did not only affect my physical health; it affected my mental health. Oh yes. It affected development. It affected my relationships. And when I had this diagnosis, I was like, I need to do something about this. Yeah. And fortunately, the 3D technology was being developed at the time. Yeah. And it was the perfect opportunity for me to to show people what fibers yes. really are. Yes. And the beauty of this is 
when the hospital saw my my scans, they only saw forty-five fibroids. Yeah. Right? Uh, when I had the the filming in the hub, wearing the three D. Yeah, the three D virtual reality. Yeah. The the results were different. They saw about ninety fibroids in the yeah, bone. That's double. That's double. And listen to this. They had seen the, the, the fibroids before I even got the opportunity because I'd given them concern to, for my doctors to give them my results so they could use the 3D and, you know, just the augmented reality and yeah. look at my scans. Mm-hmm. Before, I, they had information that I didn't have. So, and this was a week prior to my surgery. Wow. So my doctor was really, really concerned because he was trying to manage my mental health yeah. You know, it's, I was also going through menopause. Yeah. And I was about the surgery. I was unwell. The first time in my life I really knew I was unwell was the day that the previous doctor rang me and said, I have 45 fibroids. Because I'd been, you know, I became used to just living with fibroids. So it didn't mm. occur to me that unwell. I just thought it was part of my life. That yeah. was my own life. Yeah. I was adapted to it. And you know, I just got on with life. But on that particular day, I realized that there was something wrong with me. I was mm-hmm. really unwell. I looked at myself and I could see that I was ill. I was very, very ill. But because I, you know, I was just going. Yeah. And from going, nobody stopped me. Those around me, they were used to me the way I was. Yeah. And nobody stopped to say, you know what? There's something wrong with you. We need to get this you know sorted out until that day I had that phone call so when I went to that hall even though my doctors and everybody had seen the the scans before I got the you know they took me into the room I wore the 3d headset and you know we went through all the conversations where I was asking doctor like questions and he was answering them. If you've watched the video, if yeah. you haven't, it's on the iPlayer for those who haven't watched it. And it's called Your Body Uncovered with Kate Garraway. Mm-hmm. So it got to one point where Dr. Goody was the other doctor on the program. She mm-hmm. went, so how many hybrids can we see from the scans? And my doctor said to me, there are over 90 hybrids. I was like, whoa. So that was the first time you were hearing it. Yes, that was a week before my surgery. Oh my god! Yeah, and there were over over fifty people in that room, like the camera crew. Yeah, yeah. There were about cameras, you know, lighting technicians. It was a room full of production crew. Yeah, and I was at the center with two doctors, and we were going through all of this. And I was trying to keep it together because this was a week away from my from surgery. surgery. Oh my goodness. Doctor was so concerned about my mental health. You know, he was really, really concerned, but I begged him. I convinced him to come on the program because it meant a lot to me to use that platform to raise awareness. Yeah. You know, and even though I've complained about my career not moving forward, I feel like this has been the best thing that I'll ever achieve in my life. Wow. Because it started a lot of conversations. conversations yep. Like this one, in, right? Absolutely. You know, which, which is why I accepted to come to your platform because I believe it is our responsibility to raise awareness, not just raise awareness, but to get, you know, researchers, Yeah. you know, our hospitals, our governments to start, you know, actually looking at the root cause of fibroids because surgery is really not a cure. Yes. It's just around. It's a temporary yeah, fix. It's a band-aid, mm-hmm. patching yeah. it on the wound, yeah. but it doesn't take off the scar, right? We want a long-term solution. We need to know what causes fibroids, which is my prerogative. Like surgery, like if you've, if you've listened or watched the video, yeah. Mr. Queen says, you know, there's a possibility that it might come back. So even though I've had yeah. surgery, still living in fear, I'm living in doubt. 
you know, I keep praying every day that it doesn't come back. But at the back of my mind, I know it could. Yeah. So that's why we have this conversation going. Yeah. You know, something be done. We need to get to the root cause of, you know, what causes fibroids. Yeah. Anyway, going to um, the hub. So filming went well. They showed me the number of fibroids. They laid them on the table. Yeah. Inside, you know. I'm guessing you saw that. The yeah, that was that was one of the most freaky things I saw. I'm like, whoa, you know, and they laid it like in sizes. It felt like uh, this medical medical chart that I see on the walls that they laid, like, you know, they have like, or, or even a geographical chart, like the different planets and like in the universe, you know, Earth, you know, Jupiter, Mars and all of that. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And that was just the virtual representation of it when we're still at the hub. And yeah. they, they they showed me that they did the same thing after my surgery where they lined them up on a table like it was there. And the funny thing is, normally when I see things like that on social media, I don't look at them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's too graphic. Yeah. You know, I never look at things like that. And I always try not to look at pictures of fibroids because I'm not one of those people that go on the internet to research, like look at their illness. I feel like it just makes things worse. Worse, yeah. You know, so I try not to do that. I really don't do it. So this is the first time that I came face to face with fibroids, even though I've lived with fibroids for such a long time. I've wow. never gone on the internet and I'm, you know, search for them. Never. I have somebody that in the family, you know, that always sends me like, try and take this medication, you yeah. know, like natural remedies. There's always that one person, right? <laughs> in every African family. <laughs> like she was just looking for ways yeah. to help me, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't it because... I wasn't going on the internet because I didn't want to see images of fibroids. I never wanted to see them. I knew if I saw them, I'll stop eating meat. Yeah. And even see them, I reduced how I was eating meat in the past. So I just thought in my head, they look like fibroids, like meat. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't, really, you know, and when I eat meat, I throw up. Yeah. So it, it affected my life in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, when we went into the hall, they showed me everything and, I tried on that day, I tried to put myself together, not to break down. When I was told there were 45, I said to myself, it cannot get any worse. They already told me it was 45. Yeah. That didn't kill me. 90 is not going to kill me. I need to look for a way to beat this thing. Yeah. So I had to be really positive, you know, and I, I needed to stay strong because of my doctor. I had to show him that I was willing to fight them. Yes. You know, because on myself, he would have probably given up on me, mm-hmm. but I had to give hope. Yeah. So when he saw me, when he saw those 95 words, he changed my surgery again. So for the second time, he changed every preparation that he had been doing for my surgery. Wow. So they had given surgery date. When I was doing the filming, I knew my surgery was supposed to be on the 8th of September. That was my surgery day, mm-hmm. um, date. But after my doctor saw that those fibroids were not 45, they were above 90, he changed everything again. He had to change this, the theater that my procedure took place. Mm-hmm. So I was booked to go into a theater. It's a very good hospital. It's a teaching hospital. It's one of yeah. the best hospitals in London. Mm-hmm. But then case was moved to like an even bigger theater. They needed more people at the hub. For those who haven't watched the, the documentary, you can yeah. see that my father was flattened. Mm-hmm. So they showed side by side comparison of a normal bladder, mm-hmm. a normal youth with mine next to it. And you could see that my bladder had become really flat, mm-hmm. which means I was pressure. going to, yeah, pressure. So I couldn't hold urine for a long for period. Long. Yeah. Hold as much urine as somebody with a normal bladder. So I was going back and forth into the loo like three times in an hour. You know, wow. I wasn't sleeping at night because I was constantly passing urine. You know, there wasn't wow. enough room for me to hold urine. You know, I was even worse than a pregnant woman. 
Wow. You know, there was pressure. And one of the veins that takes blood up to my heart was becoming damaged. Compressed, because yeah. Because the, yeah, the fibroids were sitting on them and pressing them. Pressing, yeah. So anything could have happened to me during that period. Oh, my goodness. Anything. Might have not been the fibroids. It could have been like a collateral damage, like yeah. something that something else could have failed because they were so big. There were many of them and there wasn't enough room again, you know, inside of me because they were occupying every space that was in me. Mm-hmm. So after that, we went for my surgery and on the, on the seventh, because my surgery was booked for the eighth on the seventh, my doctor gave me a call and he was like, Hilda, um, I want to let you know that I've changed your surgery date to the 10th. Can you imagine? I've been waiting for this surgery for over a year. I know. Every day they're changing something. My mom started crying. My mom was like, oh, they know I'm going to die. They want to give me two days to leave. Oh. Yeah, it was was such a big deal. Like everybody was on their toes. Like everybody was living on the edge because it was a straightforward process, right? Yeah. It was one degree after the other. It was one bad news after the other. But the good news is with the augmented reality, they were able to see exactly where the the fibroids were and Mm -hmm. how many of them were there. Yeah. So my doctor time to do a lot more planning. And with a surgery of this magnitude, Mm -hmm. based on the number, the locations, Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's around my uterus, the risk, like any other person, Yes. There's a risk, a hysterectomy, which is, you know, you can take out your uterus mm-hmm. and I might not be able to have kids in the future if that happened. Mm-hmm. So I had to replan everything. He brought in a bowel surgeon. He brought in a heart surgeon. They were like, I had three anesthetists in the room. Wow. I had so many nurses and... This guy was fantastic, honestly. Even though my surgery was delayed, right? Yeah. It was delayed for reason. For a good reason, yeah. It was delayed for the right reasons. And I can only be thankful that I had somebody that took my care so seriously and wanted to give me another chance at living like a normal, you know, healthy life again. Yeah. So he changed everything. When he changed my surgery the last time, when he said he's moving it from the eight to the ten, I was a bit, I was down already because I was, I was anxious. You know, I just wanted it to come and to go. To be over, yeah. That was two more days to, you know, go through that again. Yeah. But my mom, you know, the way African moms are, she was like, "Oh, they know I'm going to die. They just want her to have two more days with me." <laughs> <laughs> they just don't make it any better. <laughs> Oh my gosh. She decided she decided that she was going to get ill at the same time. Oh <laughs> so I started feeling bad that I'm putting my mom through all of this. Like yeah. Everything everybody lost their appetite. Oh everybody, you know. I was trying to make people laugh, but they could see that I was dying. Oh. They could tell that it wasn't easy, you know, but it, it was really, really hard. But my yeah. doctor was my surgeon was fantastic. Anyway, the 10th finally came and my whole family took me to hospital. Mm-hmm. My dad, my mom, my siblings, you know, my sister-in-law, they took me to hospital. And um, when I went there, the doctor had said to me, Mr. Queen had said to me, they were going to give me an epidural. Yeah. You know, to stabilize me. And... I've heard women who've had children talk about epidural, right? Yeah. And I'm not having that. This is not going to happen. Like, I wasn't even scared of my surgery. I was more scared scared of of epidural. (laughs) When the in the anesthetist come and talk to me, I said to the guy, you know what? I'm not really worried about the surgery because you're going to knock me out and you're going to do what you have to do, right? Mm -hmm. But this epidural might stop this surgery from happening. There's no way I'm going to have it. I don't like needles. So... And I've heard that the needle for epidural is really, really it's big. Really big. <laughs> he had to give it to me to make sure that I was stable, stable, and I wasn't in any pain. Mm-hmm. So they were trying mm-hmm. to change my pain, like from when I wake up and all of that. So they went and had a meeting, and then they came back and said, "That's fine. Mm-hmm. We're going to 
involved and then we'll give you epidural. Mm-hmm. So this is of care and compromise they did for me. They, they did a lot to make sure that I was comfortable, yes. I was stable, you know, before going into surgery. They wanted me to be at ease. Mm-hmm. And when they that they were not going to give me epidural when I was, you know, still awake. I was yeah. really happy. So I walked into that room. I was I was really I was just confident. And I said to my doctor, I know the risk that this surgery comes with. It's not an easy surgery. Um, easy surgery. You're going to be taking out over 90 fibroids. And I want you to do the best that you can do. This is what I said to him. Wow. If you have challenges while I'm asleep, I'm not going to wake up to tell you what to do. I know you're going to make the best decision for me. If you have to save my life over my uterus, please make that decision. Whatever decision that you make, I believe is going to be the best decision. Oh. And the reason in this is because women shouldn't be defined by their uterus, right? Yeah. A gift from God. And nobody is going to define me because I have a child or not. I'm a woman. Yeah. Irrest whether I have a uterus or not. Right? Yeah. And I want my doctor to do his best. I didn't want him to stay there and try to fix a uterus. And then in the process, you know. Cost your life. It doesn't make sense. So my life is more important than an organ, you know, an organ that is very useful. Yeah. But if I still live a happy life. Yeah. Irrespective of what that outcome may have been, I'll probably go through therapy. I have a lot of support. Yeah. And I'll come with it. Then I'll still have life. Mm -hmm. And this is like, right. There's so many women that are suffering from fibroids. Yes. And this is here because already society is pointing fingers at them saying the barren, they've got yep. fibroids. We need to stop it. That's true. We need to be more empathetic. We need to show a bit of concern. We need to be kind to people. Yes. We can't women to their uterus. Yes. Oh my goodness. Women can offer. Yes. Ah. <sighs> Like I'm having goosebumps right now. I'm like, there's nothing more to say. Mic drop. Like you said everything, you know, but everything that you said, it has even uncovered so many issues and so many other subtopics that, you know, exist in our community. And I'll try my best to address most of them. I say most because, you know, like we've really spoken about a lot, but I guess that, you know, they will, the topics will be coming with time. Now, let's take it back all the way from the start, right? When you were first diagnosed, how many fibroids did you have when you were diagnosed? I cannot remember. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Like I said, right at the time, this info, what I know today, I didn't know back then. I didn't right. even have the confidence to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know. I don't, I can't remember what my doctor said. I didn't have the relationship that I have with my current doctor mm. at the time, you know, yeah. that doctor. So asking the right questions, yeah. you know, I wasn't right information yeah. and have the right support system. So I was just another patient. I was just another hospital number. Yeah. 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 Because number that they just wanted to, you know, perform the surgery and discharge and you know get the bed ready for another patient. another patient so yeah care didn't exist with when i was first diagnosed yeah and you know what that's also why you know i've said this before and i'll keep saying it right because in our african community especially we're not used to i would not even say the culture we're not used to the culture of making informed decisions especially when it has to do with our health care because back home you don't question the doctor, right? Whatever no. they say is what is on stone print, okay. fine print on the stone. Like do not question the doctor because you're questioning your intelligence. Do not advocate for yourself because you're trying to be the doctor. The doctor would literally tell you like, if you want to be the doctor, you can be the doctor. I'm telling you, this is what it is. So we don't have that, that culture of, you know, asking the right questions. We don't even know if it's the right question or not because we are met with aggression in return from the professional. So a lot of women go through so much, especially in a different world, like in the Western world as a whole, a lot of women go through so much and they are so afraid, like the doctor or the health professional will give them a chance to ask questions, but they are so afraid 
to even ask because they don't even trust themselves. They don't even, you know, just when, when you've been treated in a certain way for too long, it's hard for you to see life a different way. Right. So, and that also contributes to us discouraging us to even do that research. Like, okay, what is this fibroids about? Like, why would they even open me up? Goes to the point of opening me up because sometimes, you know, it depends on the size and the number of fibroids that determines if they give you surgery or not. And usually those surgeries, like you mentioned as well, are very risky. So why would someone open me up and almost be at a high risk of taking out my uterus to take out fibroids? And I don't even know, you know, or they don't even tell me how many fibroids they are taking out or why they are even taking it out. You know what I mean? And then they, when they close you back, they are telling you there's a chance that it will come back, come back to from what, like, you, I think you had mentioned that they said they were taking out just the bigger ones the very first time. So how many bigger ones do I have? How many small ones have the risk of growing back to become bigger ones? You know, all those things, it's like, when you see that they don't tell you, first of all, it just speaks a lot to how the health system has advanced till now that, you know, a lot of people now are realizing that, you know, we need to ask these questions. We really should be asking the right questions and supporting those that are unable to ask the questions. To ask the questions. Yes. Yes. Which is why we're doing this, because I know that so many women, so many young girls in underprivileged societies where they don't understand what's going on in their bodies. They don't even know, you know, to ask. And like you rightly say, when they come face to face with these medical professionals, they don't want to challenge them because the culture is you have no right to ask the doctor any Any questions. questions. Yes. Yes. I think clinicians should be able to listen to patients. patients, Provide accurate information to them. And if the patient doesn't understand, get somebody that can understand that information and, you know, break it down to the patient in a language that they better understand Mm -hmm. to make information, to decide on the best course of treatment for them, because no two cases are the same. Yes. You know, we should talking about this we should encourage women to talk about how they feel yeah. we should encourage to talk about you know where the pain is coming from it's not just period pain yes fibroids it's more than that yes you know yes you know there were other destructions that were due to you know the the sizes of the fibroids it's not just period pain yes. so allow them to express themselves when they're going through this thing so you know you yeah. can go back or do your own work and provide the best you know treatment for them. Yes. And I mean, now that you said that, it just brought another thing I was thinking about while you were talking before. Remember back in boarding school, especially in Cameroon, and I would think in many other countries, and not only necessarily in boarding school, I just say boarding school just because we both went to boarding school and that's where we spend most of our adolescent lives in school. And you had all these girls that always had like extremely painful periods and they would scream and they would cry and they were, the periods were so heavy. And some of us probably thought, you know, they were just exactly exaggerating or using it as a as a way to go out of school or sometimes it was just normal we already when we just hear a girl crying very loud we just know it's that time of the month and we're like oh yeah it is that time of the month and we didn't even think about could this girl be sick could this be something we just know that oh you know the periods are worse in some girls and not in other girls you know what I mean but all of these things if we took them more seriously or at least in order for us to take it more seriously we have to be informed right we have to learn you know I feel like we need to even be taught these things as young as possible you know because any girl that is you know, in her reproductive ages, in terms of like any girl that starts seeing her period can have babies, right? Hypothetically speaking. So if you're seeing your period and the fibroids, especially fibroids being something that is unknown, it's 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 been such a mystery to health professionals to really know the source of fibroids or even like who can have it or who cannot. I mean, so far they know that, you know, it's probably genetic. If your mom had fibroids, chances that you would have fibroids are very high. And it's also very prominent in black women or, you know, just other races apart from Caucasian. So it's really low within the Caucasian women or the Caucasian race, you know. So things like that, if we knew those things as young as possible, in order for us to catch those symptoms, I feel like the diagnosis will be higher and we will tend to do more about it at an earlier age than wait to the point of you giving an organ who how many people give organs how many people get those scans you know what i mean so you know i just think about all the girls in in africa or cameroon because i'm more familiar with cameroon since that's where both of us are from all the girls who have died because the fibers just grew and grew and grew and grew and nobody first of all 
the doctors, I mean, how many specialists do we have that, you know, could attend to every single woman, you know? And then, you know, we're so used to having those communicable diseases or those infectious diseases like malaria, you know, just the symptoms, headaches and all those things that we tend to ignore the women's issues, right? And then we probably visit them when it's too late or when something, a comorbidity, a comorbidity happens like, you know, heart problems or tiredness or somebody just passes out from low blood hemoglobin levels or low iron levels. And then that's when they discover that, oh my God, this person has this other thing, this other thing, you know? So it, it just, it just makes me really wonder how far we have to go and how yeah. much work we when, have to do. When I was in um, lower sleep, I had an appendectomy. Yes. And when I back, I think it was a misdiagnosis. Because Whoa. I was having this, you know, fibroid symptoms, a lot of pain. Yeah. And remember if any proper scan was done. But yeah, they I just, just went into, felt the pain and they took out your appendix. Yeah, I just went into a hospital. I said I had pain and they said, oh, we'll operate upon you. And I don't want to go into details because I can only tell you today, sitting here, that it's the grace of God that I'm alive. Because God. it's really, honestly, it's the grace of God because... I don't know what diagnosis was done. I probably had fibroids and I had, you know, my appendix taken off instead of the fibroids. The fibroids and yeah. There wasn't any scan or anything that I can remember, that I can think of. And the preparation for the surgery was, you know, a whole lot of nightmare. Knowing what I know today and what I went through back then, yeah. I can only tell this grace because there's no way I should be alive. Oh my goodness. But that's crazy. You know, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we need to, we need to go a long way ahead. You know, one thing while I watched that video, I mean, I, I first of all, I, I, I will include a link to the video for the documentary for people to watch in, you know, the note section of this episode. But when I watched, you know, how many this guy took out of you? Well, first of all, when I watched the video, when you were in the hub looking at, you know, virtual reality of all the organs, I, I was like, Wait a minute. Where's her stomach? Where is her <laughs> liver? Where is where her intestines? Where's her blood? Like I, I just saw only fibroids. Like fibroids just filled the entire space. And I was like, how have you been managing? How have you been living? Like this must have affected your quality of life so much. Like I felt I had chills. I was like, what? You know? Yeah. And to know that, you know, I mean the high the the highest number of fibers that I've heard someone had was 32. And when the guy said he found 10 more than 90, which is 100, I was mind blown. I was mind blown. Yes. And I was like, you know, first of all, I was, I screamed when you, when he reassured you that, you know, like your uterus was not touched and everything. And I was just like, oh my goodness, we have come a long way with technology. We have come a long way with just advancements. And I was so proud. I mean, I'm a healthcare professional and I was so proud of healthcare. And I was so proud of you, you know, like when you were talking about your story and, you know, you were such a very good patient, you know, I feel like most doctors, you know, would appreciate you and the way you handled that situation. You know, in this situation is a doctor that had to motivate you, is a doctor that had to care more about you, but you actually cared about also motivating the doctor. You cared about encouraging the doctor, which is such an important aspect in healthcare because, you know, sometimes when you give the professional that much confidence, they feel more comfortable addressing you on, unlike if you were just trusted, like they'll be very, very stressed up and very anxious handling you if you were just, you know, freaking out and giving them a hard time. So I just want to thank you on behalf of all health professionals. I just want to thank you for that. And just for your bravery, man. It is a health professional. Like I get what you're saying, Bert. Sometimes we don't, even though we have complaints, you know, the system doesn't always work the way we want it to work. Mm -hmm. You know, constraints, you know, within healthcare, like any other institutions, you know, sometimes the understaffed, you know, there's a lot of pressure, but, you know, these people, I don't know how you do it. I can't even care for myself. You know, I cannot do it. It's not in me to, yeah. to, to nurse, you know, somebody, mm -hmm. but other people to dedicate their time to, to care for us, you know, in that level, things that I'm not sure I will be able to do, Yeah, you know, these people dedicated their time. And that's why my recovery was so quick. Yeah. And 
the care that I received, I cannot, you know, I cannot even say it. I cannot put it into words. Everything that they did, they did it with purpose. You know, they did it with intention. It wasn't just me going to, to work today. I'm doing my job. Yeah. They wanted me well. And it wasn't just physically. It was mentally. And, yeah. you know, after my surgery, I was open about, you know, doing what I wanted to do, taking pictures. And my mom, my mom did not believe what she saw. Yeah. She thought I was pushing myself. I was like, no, I'm fine. There's a bit of pain. Yeah. But I just felt like a new person. You know, there was a rebirth. I felt brand new. Yeah. I had renewed energy. I was happy. My skin changed. You know, yeah. I become like, well, my face was just white because there wasn't blood circulating in my body. Wow. You know, I was sleeping at night. I was up all night going into the toilet, but now I'm having normal sleep. You know, I'm eating well. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going out, I'm doing things that I didn't do in so many years. So I can only say thank you to the medical professionals because it is down to them, yeah. you know? Yeah. Wow. It's wow. also, we created that relationship that we wanted this to work, Yeah. you know, and I can only say I was fortunate as well with my care, you know, my, my doctor, you know, yeah. and he, he is really happy that, you know, I am his patient. I've mm-hmm. seen him after the, you know, I've had so many follow-ups. I've been to clinics. I've had two other MRI scans since after my procedure. Mm-hmm. And the result is fantastic. Awesome. My H back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what to be. My vitamin D levels is up and fine. So mm-hmm. I'm on the active monitoring in the hospital. So I have a follow-up appointment coming. These are things that I didn't have in the past, but now I have them because I'm in a position and like you say, you know, medicine has advanced to a level where I'm able to get with my doctor and he's able to listen to me and he's put in place like measures to make sure that he can manage and monitor me Mm -hmm. and don't let, you know, what happened in the past happen again. So, yeah. Thank you so no. much for sharing that. If you're okay, we can also add the contact information for your doctor and just the team that helps you just in case any other person wants to visit them. And, you know, because one thing I noticed, you know, it didn't even occur to me until I had my own doctor on because I've spoken about fertility issues twice with my own OBGYN and or is it gyno as you guys call it. And I was like, this is definitely an opportunity for people who are listening, especially people around my area to go to to her and also talk about their issues. And I won't be surprised if that's happening. You know, I mean, these doctors are there to be at the service of patients. And, you know, just from the way you're talking, you will be surprised at how many more women are struggling with that. And that will be an opportunity for your own doctor to be of service to them as well. So if that's, that's if only and only if you're okay with that. My doctor is very, very happy to see anybody that's suffering from fibroids or have symptoms. So since after the program, he's had a lot of, his secretaries had a lot of inquiries. Like there's so many reaching out to him. And when I saw him in clinic, he was very happy. His name is Stephen Quinn. And if you just go into Google and type in his details, Dr. Stephen Quinn. I'm also going to details so you can add on the link. Anybody who wants contact because you know why not yeah 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 that's true thank you so much for that now another thing that i really wanted to point out in the conversation that we had like the story that you were telling me uh is something that's very important and i always try to point this out because that is also one of the goals of my podcast to make sure that we show more empathy to one another that's something that we utterly lack in our community especially in our african community because we tend to dismiss a lot of the issues that people are going through not sometimes not intentionally but that's just the way we talk right like when you said you went to work out with your friend and somebody asked you why you were breathing, like, is it an old woman or something like that? And I was like, that's very insensitive, regardless of whether the person knows what you're going through or not. Right. And I mean, I, I've spoken to a lot of other friends, like a friend of mine who was going through a mental 
breakdown of relapse. She had psychosis and someone tell her, oh, just because you're going through mental health should, doesn't mean our life should stop. Or you started that your craziness again, you know, things like that. So sometimes it could be your loved ones, actually, that will say that. And they're just saying it in a very joking way, but it's actually not. It would be the, the people that are closest to you that would say things like that, you know, and think it's okay. It's really not okay. Yes. Instead of saying, oh, why are you breathing like an old woman? You could be like, be like are, are you, you okay? okay? Yes. Are you okay? Because you were breathing heavily, right? The, the um, elevator rather than go up the stairs, you know. Yes. There's so many things to say rather than just, you know, yes. bring down somebody. Yes. And that's very dismissive of what you are going through. It's like they don't even care about what you're going through. They they just throw it out there, you know, and it's it's very, you know, we, we and, and that's why people are so afraid to even talk about their mental health because, you know, that statement could really affect your mental health. Or it could make you feel bad, worse about the situation and they don't know about it. And then, of course, if you want to tell them and call it out, they'll be like, oh, I was just joking. You're so weak. You're so you're so sensitive. Things like that, you know. So I really, really hope that, you know, I really wanted to point this out to just let us know, especially members of our community, to know that the little, little things that we do that could literally affect somebody in a very bad way and in a very major way as well. So let's always learn to watch our words. I personally am still working on that because I am literally a straight shooter. What you see with me is what you get. Like I would tell it as it is, but sometimes I have learned to show empathy, to put myself in that person's position and see if I would like to be spoken to like that, you know? So I really want us to be very sensitive because after hearing your story, I'm sure whoever said that, they would probably feel the worst if I thought they even remember they said that. Most of the times they will not even remember they said that because it's just a way of speaking. But that's why I want us to change that way of speaking and do better. Right. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you briefly talked about how your life is now. You're back to, you know, your skin is glowing. I can see that for sure. You know, funny enough, I didn't even see it, it was hard to tell that your skin was any different before just because I wasn't aware of what you were going through. Maybe I would have you know, I wasn't looking for a problem. So I didn't see one on you, if that makes sense, you know? So can you tell us more like how much your life has changed, especially when it has to do with, you know, the things that you used to do before, if if you are doing them now and, you know, just how life is in general. I'm getting more sleep. I know I'm sleeping at night. It's the little thing, you know, That's... I'm not talking about big things. I'm getting yes. a full night. I couldn't sleep before. You know, my period just came and I was like, oh, like there were no signs it's coming, no pain yeah. whatsoever. And now I'm having regular periods. I'm just thanking God for the bare minimum. Amazing. This is it. Amazing. Yeah, so pains, it comes, it lasts for four days and it's just like a little bit of bleeding here and there. Yeah. And I can wear whatever to wear. I'm sleeping at night. I'm not rushing back and forth. It's just those little things that I'm grateful for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. I'm so, I'm so grateful for that too. And I'm so glad that you shared that as well, because you know, there, there are so many women that actually suffer in silence. And I hope that this conversation will bring back that spark, like will, will make them to rethink their decision to just suffer in silence and not talk about it. And also to encourage them to take it more seriously, because, you know, so many more women are going through a similar situation and they probably will not talk about it. So what advice will you give them? Please pick up, speak to somebody you trust, you know, yeah. find somebody in your circle that you trust. And if there is nobody, please do reach out because I'm here to listen. I'm here to help, you know, advise you, point you in the right direction. If I can, your information yeah. will be treated as confidentially as possible. Yeah. We don't pay close health information. Yeah. We don't make like people's situations. But please don't suffer because this might affect your mental health. Yeah. Could have you if you're not talking. If you're in pain, please go to a hospital. Yeah. Please. Yeah. A place where I didn't even have pad, like I didn't have a sanitary pad. I've run out of them in this country at home. I've run out of them. Wow. Honestly, there were days that I didn't have them. And I would call somebody to bring them, you know. I'm not even joking. This, wow. this is making me emotional. Wow. I had one of my scientists. She had to send her daughters to come and give them to me. Wow. 
That's crazy. Yeah. So if you need things like that, please reach out. I've been there myself. Yeah. Wow. I've gone down and it's, it's not an easy journey. So it's not, it's not. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, it's like, I, I just have a rush of chills continuously from head to toe because I mean, I mean, topic that I'm so passionate about because I've been there, I've been that girl, Yeah, you know, that girl. Yeah. And how, how is it possible that I wouldn't have, a, you know, sanitary towel at yeah. home because yeah. nothing left for me to wear, to wear, yeah. you know, and she, she was, I called one of my cousins, a guy, he's in Manchester. It's like four hours away from me. Yeah. Crying. And he had to call his auntie in London to, to come. And unfortunately this was during COVID and she's unwell as well. Wow. And she, 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 oh my gosh, it, it was just horrible. So please, I don't want anybody, you know, to go through this. And this is, this is the other thing. When I was so unwell, I had to focus my energy to the right place because I was going, I felt like, you know, my life was falling apart. Mm-hmm. That's when I started finding my scarves. Yeah. So if you know, I have dear mind gay scarves and I'm currently, I've done one of this into a headband. Headband. Yeah. And That's so beautiful. Thank you. I had to do something to, to keep me going. Something that was nice, something that wasn't, you know, causing me pain. So I started designing the scarves mm-hmm. and uh, the point to use a percentage about 10 to 15% of that to, you know, help young girls that are unable to afford, you know, sanitary towels, yeah. The basic, the bare minimum. So yes. for anybody to support me, you can buy one of my scarves and sure. I'll be using that to support a young girl in Cameroon. Yeah, you yeah. Know that- for sure. I, I definitely will include all of that information in the bio of this episode. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I was just about to ask, you know, if you have anything that you're passionate about that, you know, you wanted to share, which I thank you for answering the question even right before I asked. But I definitely hope to support you. Thank you so much, so much for sharing your story. I will also put your information on how the audience can reach you in the show notes of the episode. So people should reach out to you as well. I mean, is there any last words that you have for us before we end the conversation? I really want to thank you and you for what you're doing um, in our community. Not a lot of people are able to do what you're doing. You're younger, you're a new mom, you know, you have your own challenges. Yeah. You have a family. You know, you have your child that you could be spending time with, but you're using your platform to, you know, educate people, to raise awareness, to, you know, to to make the world a better place. So I really want to thank you for what you are doing because, you. you know, not everybody's doing it. Not everyone can do it. And you're very good at what you're doing. So thank you so much. I've been listening to your podcast and, you know, I've learned a lot from it. You know, Thank and you. like you say, we all work in progress. We should learn how we talk to people, especially on subjects that we don't understand. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.